Well, uh, <laughs> today is my last day of being 39, if you're wondering why I'm wearing all black. <laughs> I, uh, that was not planned, but it is appropriate, I think. Um, thank you so much. It's really good to be with you today. I'm, uh, we had a really good week. Um, Christy and Micah and, and Leslie and I got to go to, uh, to a revival week at Cherry Hills Church in Highlands Ranch, Colorado, which is uh, where Christy's sister Wendy is at, and her husband Shane is the pastor there. And uh, we were just a part of it all week, and it was just a really, really powerful experience of seeing God do some really great things. And it was literally church all day. It was like get up at 7.30 to 9, like church, go eat, church, go eat, church, go eat. Literally, that was our day, which is like my kind of week, just so you know. Like, I'm all about that. I loved it. And it was really, really powerful. And I just, it was amazing. I mean, revival is truly breaking out in that place, um, seeing the miraculous and seeing some really amazing things. And, and during our time, I was just so encouraged because I just, I feel like the embers of revival are, are in our midst as well. And, uh, and I can feel it starting to, to burn here. And I'm, and I'm really... Um, believing that God is sending breakthrough. And I, I feel like many of us have already experienced it. Many of us have already experienced breakthrough in our life, it's, and maybe even recently you've, you've had things happen that have been really, really good. And, and, but today I want to talk, if, if, like I said a little while ago, I want to talk about breakthrough. Um, it's something that's sort of been on my heart for a few weeks now, and specifically I, I want to talk about the walls um, that confine and define us uh, the story in Matthew 13 that I read earlier about Jesus going to his hometown is just an example of, of, of how people sometimes can say, yay, God, God, Holy Spirit, Jesus, you're amazing, you're miraculous, you have all this power and this wisdom. And then on the other hand, um, we say things like, oh, but he's the carpenter's son, or that's just Mary's boy. And I know we don't say that, but we say things like it. We say, oh, this is just the way it is. It is what it is. We believe that nothing can be done about it. Or we think, oh, God, God wouldn't do that for us. Or maybe we say, I've been praying for this thing or this breakthrough or this thing to happen and nothing's really changed. And so we feel like breakthrough is something that is a good idea, but it isn't very real for us. And we read the Bible and we say, oh, yeah, it was that way in the Bible, but it's not that way for us now. So I don't know what you think about breakthrough or what comes to mind when you even hear the word breakthrough. Um, but we're sort of coming up against the wall. I'll give you an example. We're coming up against the wall with my son, Grayson, <laughs> who's going to be five in just a few days. He, he started uh, all-day school this year, and he's not loving it. You know what I'm saying? He actually says, I don't want to go to elementary, and that's what he calls it. <laughs> and he doesn't know he's calling it, it's calling it wrong, but he says, I do not want to go to elementary school. And I'm like, bro, I don't either. Like, that sounds terrible, elementary school. I do not want to go to that place. He's like, neither do I. I don't want to go. Don't make me go. And so the other day, he was acting up at school, and he actually got in trouble, which has never happened with any of our children before. Um, and so he's, he's not doing what he's supposed to do. We hear about it. We're out of town. So Christy calls him. She's on the phone with him and saying, hey, buddy, what's going on? I heard you didn't do well at school. He goes, hey, I don't want to talk about it. You're making this complicated. And then he, re he literally said, I'm going to push the red button now and hung up the phone on her, the red button on the phone. Hung up the phone on, on Christy, I promise we're good parents. Um, <laughs> at least we try and be. And so right now we have like, we're like, we're like waiting on breakthrough, right, with Grayson. Uh, we need him, and all of our kids have hit the school wall before. 
I don't know if parents, you get what I'm talking about? You've hit the school wall, but right now, the other three kids, they've, they've broken through. They love school. They're in a season of loving school, which is, which is good. And as we get older in life, right, breakthrough happens, it, it moves beyond, you know, liking vegetables or getting over elementary school or whatever it is. And, but as we get over or get older, it moves into things like, am I trusting myself or am I trusting God? And there's a breakthrough that happens there, right? In which at some point, you're like, okay, it's not about me. I, I, I can't put, I can't, I'm so limited that I have to trust in the unlimited power of God. Or perhaps it's things like, there's a breakthrough that happens like, do I want the things of this world or do I want the things of God? And, and a lot of us say, so, oh, God is amazing. He's powerful. He, how does he get, where does he get all this wisdom? You know, this is what we read in Matthew 13. And we think, oh, yes, God is amazing. Yet I still want the things of this world. Breakthrough happens whenever you're like, the things of this world are nothing compared to Jesus. They're nothing compared to the kingdom of God. They're nothing. Breakthrough happens when you actually release the desire and the want for the things that will fade away. And you long after the things that last forever. Are you with me? And so breakthrough for us is something that every one of us need. And we need it over and over again. Because here's the thing. We don't ever break through to a point where we're like, ah, arrived, right? We break through to new places of more, more of God. And then we break through to more of God. And then we break through to more of God. And so there's this constant opportunity and privilege and blessing in life that God is going to continue to give us more as we seek him more. Jesus came and he did some radical things right away. You know, we're talking about Jesus, of course, and, 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 and what he did right as he began his ministries. He began to address the walls that people were putting up, the people of God, the walls that they were putting up between themselves and others. So they were putting up walls between themselves and all other sorts of people. And, and, and you guys can probably start thinking about the stories in the Bible. Like, oh yeah, they were against them, they were against them, they were against them. They started putting up all these walls against other people. And they were putting up walls between themselves and the Lord. And Jesus came in and he started just knocking them over one at a time and saying, nope, nope, nope. And he was doing, doing some work. He said things like, you remember when he said, oh, don't hate your enemies, but you love them? Oh, that's a pretty big wall. He said things like, or, or the story where he sits and he ministers to the Samaritan woman. He, he comes in and he crushes the division, the barrier between gender, between men and women, and between racial barriers, right in this one story, in this one conversation. In the story in Luke 5, um, starting in verse 29, great example, I'll just read part of it. Tax collector Levi had just become a follower of Jesus. Look at what's happening in the story. It says, then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to the disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. So there's this other wall, another wall right here in this story between godly people, <laughs> we'll put that in quotes, 
godly people and ungodly people, right? Jesus is actually saying, you know what you do with ungodly people? You actually invite them into your house. You don't separate themselves from them. So when he's saying that, but he's also saying something in, 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 inside of that that's really important to hear. But you do it as a doctor. What do doctors have? Doctors have a lot inside of them that is, has the ability to then minister to the sick, right? So when we invite them into our home, we are prepared and we are acting as if a mature doctor in which we are there to bring to them what they need. And what they need, of course, and what Jesus is saying is they need the kingdom of God. They need Jesus. So he's, he's starting to crush these walls that these people were living with, right? He's doing it over and over again. And there's another example in Mark chapter 7. A bunch of religious leaders, they're, they're getting upset about the, at the disciples, the, Jesus' disciples specifically, because they saw them eating a meal without washing their hands, which I love it. It's like, your guys are not washing their hands before, they're eat, before they eat. That is disgusting. That's what they're saying, right? Which, although, kids, wash your hands before you eat. They thought it wasn't a hygienic thing, by the way. Um, they aren't worried about hygiene. They are concerned about what they call clean and unclean. And you've probably read that in the scriptures at some point. And they mean clean and unclean ceremonially. It was a religious law to actually wash your hands before eating because if you didn't, you could actually be in danger of defiling yourself by putting something that you had touched that was unclean and now it was going to your mouth and all of a sudden you're defiled and you're unrighteous before the Lord and you need to go make sacrifices in order to atone for your defilement. So this is like a big cycle of a lot of things going on by not washing your hands. And they're like, why don't they wash their hands? This is crazy. So read this, I'll read this story to you, just part of it. Mark 7, verse 5. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people will honor me with their lips, but their hearts will be far from me. That's a... a that's a, that's a wall in and of itself right there. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. I don't know if anybody's ever experienced that one. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human tradition. And then if you skip down to verse 14, he says, Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, so this is right on the heels of that. He says, listen to me, everyone who understands this. Nothing outside of a person, nothing outside of a person, can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. At the end of verse 10, he actually says, all, all food is clean. <laughs> Everything is clean. And so Jesus actually makes this really significant statement here. He says, it's not what you put in to you. It's not the things from outside that go into you that will defile you. It's what comes out of your heart that will defile you. Therefore, all foods are clean. Don't worry about it anymore. This whole thing about clean and unclean is not a real thing. This is actually a really, really big deal because something's happening inside of here. He's changing. Oh my gosh, he's changing everything about everything. <laughs> he's about to just rock their world and he, he's doing it again and again, but he's doing it one wall at a time. He's crashing them down 
And he's putting these barriers between people and the Lord, and he's saying, you don't understand. You didn't really get it. I'm going to make all things new. I'm going to restore what needs to be restored. I'm going to take down the things that need to be taken down so that you can have more of God and you can experience the breakthrough you really need to experience. This is what's going on here. I want to introduce you to something briefly. In the world of theology, uh, but also in the world of psychology and sociology, in case you're like, oh, it's just in the world of theology, it's also in the world of sciences, you will read about what is called the sacred-secular divide. Um, this represents a real divide that we subconsciously and sometimes very consciously make <laughs> about what is, considered, what is considered spiritual or sacred and what is considered non-spiritual or secular, right? This can be from anything. The easiest example is music, right? Most people call things, oh, there's secular music and there's Christian music. So there's secular music, anything from our favorite bands like the Beatles or, I don't know, Drake or Garth Brooks. I don't care. Like, that's all secular music. And then there's, there's Christian music, everything from like historic hymns to the worship music like we sing here or Caleb Radio, you know what I mean? Uh, it, that's, that's the Christian music scene. And, and many of us like to use the language of secular music or Christian music. And I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, if you ever went... If you ever went to summer camp when you were a kid, like, and you had this big spiritual moment, you're like, I got to get rid of all of my secular music. You know what I'm talking about? And they would come home and they like burn and break the CDs or the tapes or the records, depending on how old you are. And, and, and they would do this. And I heard just this last week, somebody was talking about like, they did that with their ACDC, you know, tape or whatever. And ACDC apparently stands for Antichrist Devil Children. Um, it doesn't. I just, but I, I thought it was funny. And so, so we get our ACDT tapes, our Guns N' Roses, our Public Enemy, whatever. We go home after camp and we like dump them in the trash. And anybody do this? I mean, oh, one person. It was Micah. <laughs> yes, that is so perfect. <clears throat> Music is an easy example of this divide we make. But we also have other divides. We have secular work and spiritual work, don't we? We have spiritual places like churches, and we have non-spiritual places like everywhere else. We have spiritual property like our Bible, maybe the journal if you have a journal, our favorite Christian t-shirt. That's the spiritual items that we have. And then we have all sorts of non-spiritual things that are in our life. We even have spiritual food, don't we? Like Chick-fil-A. <laughs> and we have evil food like McDonald's. <laughs> Don't lie, you like McDonald's. We even have things that are intended to be absent of the spiritual, don't we? Separation of church and state. For most of us, we think it means that there should be no spiritually influential practices or behaviors in a government or school environment although that's completely wrong. Um, that's what a lot of us interpret that to mean, is that there should be places that are absent of spiritual influence. You see how this is playing out? And equally, we think that there are places like a church that it should be completely <laughs> spiritual, and there should be things that it's absent of that seem non-spiritual, like having fun. You don't have fun at church. It's church. And what happens is we place walls between certain places and things in our life. And we have sacred and religious or spiritual things, and then we have 
secular or non-spiritual, or we can just call them normal things in life, right? Clean and unclean. This is what Jesus was addressing in Mark 7. We build religious walls, and essentially we confine God to certain places and times. We even do this as believers, and a few examples is, for many of us, the only real worship we experience in a given week is when we come together in a certain place at a certain time, and we have a worship band with us, and we sing songs. Wouldn't it be nice to have the worship band go with us everywhere? It's like walking around, they're like behind us, just playing songs. So we could worship all the time. Because sometimes, for many of us, we don't worship unless it's here. This plays out in things like worship. It also plays out in things like serving. We serve God mostly in the confines of a certain place or time or thing. And for a lot of us, serving kind of is restricted to church events or church services or whatever it may be. So we have the real world, don't we? And then, and, and then over here, we have the spiritual things that we do at certain times and certain places. Do you see the sacred-secular divide playing out? Do you? Are you with me? This sort of thinking actually goes back a really long ways. Uh, the first 300 years of Christianity, so Jesus, you know, he's, he lives, he's crucified, he raises back to life, and then he leaves and he ascends to heaven, right? And then from that point forward, the disciples are, are tasked with building the church. And so for 300 years, the gospel begins to spread like fire. Like, it's crazy. In the first 300 years, there's tw- it goes from a couple hundred followers of Jesus to over 20 million. Just so you know, in the ancient world, that is a lot of people in a short amount of time. It was, it was the kingdom of God invading the earth, and it was spreading throughout the world. It was like, it, it was like the, something the world had never seen when it comes to a spiritual invasion, if you want to call it that, into this physical realm. And so people were coming to know Christ, and... Persecution against the church broke out, and a lot of people attribute the persecution to, uh, to a part of, the, part of the, the unusual advance of the gospel, and in large part was because of this catalyst of persecution. Well, during those 300 years, the Roman government is controlled, but Greek philosophy still ruled the day. So Greek thinkers still ruled the day, and they were the ones that got things. So they tried to get this new faith, this new Christianity, and they tried to wrap their minds around it. So they took They took Christianity and they tried to put it in the constructs of Greek philosophy. And they started to kind of define how Christianity was really played out in the world around us. And so they developed this idea called dualism. Now, dualism is a very simple simple explanation. It's, it's, It's the fact that there are two powers in the world. There's the physical powers and realm that we live in, but then there's a spiritual reality that sits outside of the physical reality in which the spiritual reality is more of a force in the physical. It's not, but they don't really, they don't really go together. This is why we get our understanding of like ghosts, right? And things like that. And like, oh yeah, they, they don't really have an impact in the physical realm, but oh, they're, they're out there, you know, these spiritual beings. And so there's this dualistic sort of thinking that Greek philosophy sort of defined under the constructs of Christianity. Now, here's why this is important to bring up. Because Jesus, what was Jesus doing? When he talked about the spiritual realities, stay with me. Really, stay with me, because this is, man, this is so good. When Jesus talked about the spiritual realities of heaven and the kingdom of heaven, what was he talking about? He wanted to bring the kingdom of God where? earth. What did he pray? 
on earth as it is in heaven. Right? He didn't want a wall between heaven and earth. He was bringing the spiritual realities and the supernatural wonder of heaven to earth. Wasn't that what we read in the Gospels? Things that you can't explain were happening. He was bringing in the kingdom of God. He was ushering in the inbreaking kingdom of God into this physical realm, not one that is separate, but one that is one. And so in Jesus' mind, and what Jesus taught, he actually taught a faith and an understanding of life where everything is holistic. It's not divided. It's not dualistic. It's holistic in which everything is spiritual. Everything. Everything's spiritual. For Jesus, it was on earth as it is in heaven. So this is what's happening in Mark 7. This is what Jesus has been saying this whole time. He's bringing the kingdom of God to earth. He's breaking down the walls of division. So if that's what Jesus taught, why are we in the place we're in right now? Why do we live with this dualistic mentality? Well, in the year 310, Constantine, who was the Roman emperor, he finally kind of gave in to this advancing kingdom of God. There was this movement of the church, 20 million plus followers of Jesus, and he's basically like, oh, persecution isn't working. If you can't beat them, join them. And so he then takes Christianity and makes it the national religion of Rome. He institutionalized and politicized our Christian faith. Now, if you can just imagine the impact that that has. It moves out of the, under the pure authority of God and under the authority of a man. This has really big implications. Meanwhile, Greek philosophy is still shaping the minds, but Roman authority is shaping the world and its power structures. Hmm. So I'm just thinking... Greek philosophy adheres to dualistic thinking, but we also operate under this Roman power structure where religion is often institutionalized and dependent upon the power structures of government for its authority. And this is the world we kind of live in. Would you agree? Listen, the gospel is neither Greek nor Roman. It's from another place, which is good news. Therefore, our minds do not need to be shaped, stay with me, for the, by Greco-philosophical uh, greats, but by the power of God's word. That's how our minds need to be shaped, right? Not by this construct of dualistic thinking, but by the power of God's word. And our authority and our freedom does not come by government or institutions, but by the spirit of God. That's where our authority comes from. And it's within us, and it's not confined to the religious liberties that we are granted by the authority of man. Do you understand how big this is? I don't know. Maybe I'm not saying it quite right, because I feel like it's as big. So therefore, these, these walls are not merely a physical representation of the separation that we make between our faith and our church and the world around us, but they actually scream metaphorically and sometimes realistically, to the divides we make within our own heart between our faith and the world around us. And we live 
trapped inside of walls around us in which we do not know how to break free of and see us breaking, seeing the inbreaking kingdom of God being released in this world and we're not, where things are not spiritual and uh, non-spiritual, not sacred, not secular, but everything is spiritual, all things made clean, and we are now bringing the kingdom of God into the earth where things are going to change everything about everything. You know, this, the walls that we create for spiritual and non-spiritual are actually a human invention. Humans like to create walls, don't they? We like to divide and separate. <coughs> think, about, think about society. How divided is it? This is in the news, is it not? Division around every corner. But Jesus comes... And he immediately crushes the wall of racial barriers. He immediately takes out the wall between men and women. He immediately looks to destroy the wall between the rich and the poor. He even tells us to remove the wall of hatred between our enemies and instead to love them. He's, he's continually breaking down these walls. He removes the wall between unclean and clean food even. He gets down into our food. And he says there's no such thing. The only thing that defiles us is what comes out of our heart. I'm talking, to, I'm talking about this because I want you to be praying for breakthrough in your life. Because you have walls in your life. I'm not saying some of us. I'm saying all of us do. All of us have walls in our life, walls that are limiting you, walls that you try and leave God out of certain things in your life. Maybe for some of us, fear has built a wall that's so big and so tall and the materials are so thick that we don't even know what to do with it. We're so afraid of stepping into the more of God because we don't know what it's going to bring. So we just let that wall of fear stand in front of us. We have walls of insecurity and anger and bitterness and indifference, or maybe even a lack of faith like those in Nazareth had. So what I want to do today is I don't, sure, I want you to kind of identify with your walls, but I really want to give you three ways um, to open your heart up to see breakthrough happen. That'll be, is that good? Isn't it nice to every once in a while I'll get an idea? Like, oh, I'm not just confined. Maybe there's something that can be helpful in this whole area. I want to give you three things because you may have no idea that you need breakthrough. You may, have, you may be today going, I didn't even think about this. I didn't even know I needed breakthrough. You may be sitting here thinking, you know what? Life's pretty good. I think I'm fine. I think things are good right now. I don't have a lot of ways. I just want to say right now, and I want you to hear me. If you think you don't need breakthrough, you definitely need breakthrough. Are you with me? If you're sitting here thinking, I'm good. Listen, I'm glad you're good, but Jesus says there's more. <laughs> you understand that? He says, I want to give you a life beyond your imagine. I don't want you to just have good. I want you to have more good because that's all I can give you is good. So if you think you're good, it's not good enough. This week I had an experience where the Lord showed me a picture. I don't know if you ever get that, but it's really powerful when he does, and it was all of us. We were all in it. 
you were there. And it was a picture, and we were in this room, and it was, it was kind of like the clouds above us split, and there was, now this is going to be weird, and there was like a picture, there was like a picture, a, a picture of like a water pitcher. It was really big. And it was filled with the love of God. And it started pouring out over this place. And some of us were standing there, we were like, yes. We just like being drenched in the love of God. We're worshiping, we're loving it. It's like, yes, Lord, thank you. There's some of us that were completely unaware. But we're being drenched all the same. We're like walking around just dripping. <laughs> and there are some of us that were fighting it, resisting it, but we were being, they were being drenched as well. <laughs> no matter if you're ready, you're indifferent, or you're resistant, the love of God pours down on you. You understand that? He wants to give you more no matter where you're at. He wants to break through no matter where you're at right now. So like I said, I want to give you three things. And that wasn't even it. And these three things are actually from the Bible, which is always good. 1 Thessalonians 5. <laughs> I love this. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for that is God's will for you in who? Christ Jesus. That's his will for you. I mean, this is, this is almost comical right now because this is so, so good. Three things that help us open our heart up to breakthrough. Here's the thing about walls. It's not intended for you to go stare at the wall. Do you understand that? Like, oh my gosh, this wall, what do I do with it in my life? And it's not intended for you to go start collecting a bunch of heavy machinery to take that wall out and to start sweat working for you to figure out how to start chipping away at the wall. That's what so many of us do in life. We work at the wall whenever we're confronted with the wall. Jesus never, that's, here's the good news. Jesus is actually the one that takes the walls down. He doesn't want you to go work on the wall. His will for you is to rejoice, to pray, to give thanks. That's his will for you. And I, and I just know this. I know this. I know this. I believe this. Breakthrough's coming. Breakthrough's coming when you can rejoice, when you can pray continually, and you can give thanks in all circumstances. Breakthrough will be coming. You won't even have to worry about the wall anymore. He's just going to start pouring that love out on you, and you're going to start going, yes, God, and you're going to start realizing that there is more all around you. And guess what? The spiritual realities of heaven, the spiritual realities of heaven, they're going to start becoming more visible to you because they're already here on earth as it is in heaven. They're, you're going to start experiencing them. You're going to be like, wow, the kingdom of God is among us. Some of us so boxed in We've confined ourselves to this limited God that sits over there in this place and in this time that we intersect every once in a while in our week and we think we're going to experience the kingdom of God? No. 
What we're gonna experience is a dualistic trap of Greek philosophy that lives under Roman man-made authority. Instead of living under the authority of the Holy Spirit breaking loose among a group of people in which the kingdom of God cannot be stopped. So these three things, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. In Christ, this is his will for you. When Paul says rejoice always, the central word and the idea of rejoice is what? Joy. Walk in joy. Many of us don't even know how to walk in joy, by the way. We walk in sorrow, we walk in pain, we walk in frustration. Anybody with me? We walk in annoyance. Your natural tendency is to be annoyed, to be frustrated, to be angry, to be bitter. Someone does something to you that's a little bit off, that someone cuts you off in traffic. It's, it's, It's immediately frustration. It's immediate anger. Your first reaction to anything that's out of kilter for you is, it's not pleasant, right? We don't even know how to walk in joy. Someone cuts you off, the Lord bless them. <laughs> I want to walk that way though, I'm being serious. Right now, I want you to think of God's love pouring down on you. <laughs> I know that some of you aren't there. You're just here today. But some of you are. Would you, would you just close your eyes? And I want you to actually picture this crazy thing that I described. Of God's love pouring down on you right now. You're drenched in his love. You're allowed to smile. It's so good. He wants to give you more of that. He wants you to be filled with joy. That is his will for you. You can open your eyes. You know what, if if you want joy, you rejoice. You're like, hold on, hold on. Meaning, most of us think we rejoice when we have joy. No, no, no. If you don't have joy, rejoice. I believe that very deeply. If I want joy in my life, I have to start rejoicing in the things that I see God doing and the things that I know he is, the promises he's made. Lord, I just rejoice in those things. Lord, help me remember. Help me rejoice in it, and you will fill up my heart with joy. Then he says, pray continually. You know, we've been leaning into this one as a church. We're going to go a little over. But I feel like I feel like more is coming. More prayer, more time on our knees, more breakthrough in prayer. I just feel like it's coming. So if you feel like the Lord is calling you to more prayer, don't let the walls of fear or busyness stop you. Step in. If you feel like you want to come here more and spend time in our prayer room more, but for some reason you just kind of feel this resistance and you just can't quite break through and do it, just do it. Do it. The presence of God is on that room, on this place. And I'm not saying he's not everywhere, but I know that the Lord is working in that space. And a lot of us need to get in there. We need to start praying for breakthrough in our own life, in our church. God's presence is there and everything. (laughs) The thing about prayer is
Prayer is for us to be able to relate to the Father. It's not work. It's like if you have a desire to know God more, this is where you pray, this is where he speaks to us. This is why he says pray continually because then you'll be in relationship with the Father and he'll continue to lavish out more on you. He'll give you visions and dreams and he'll, he'll give you things in prayer. We begin to see the inbreaking kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. The third thing he says is give thanks in all circumstances. In everything, give thanks. I was thinking about how transcendent that statement is. <laughs> to give thanks to God for everything, in any and every situation. Yesterday I was actually thinking about this and I, uh, I was wondering, have we given thanks to God publicly in our church for what he's done in the last few months? I was like, Lord, I don't, I don't know if maybe quickly here and there. I want to give thanks for the breakthrough he's brought, for the things he's doing right now, because he's doing so much. And if we don't stop and celebrate the things he is doing, we'll never celebrate the things. I mean, we're never going to get, like, we have to stop and say, thank you, God, for what you're doing today. And we were ready to receive more. Thank you, God, for what you're doing today. And we're ready to receive more. So I just want to thank him. So like I said, specifically for this time of these last few months, since we started our prayer room on 24-7 prayer, will you bow your heads? I'm just going to say a prayer of thanks. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the breakthrough that we're seeing in worship. I've seen people move to worship in ways they've never worshipped before. I, I thank you for that. I thank you for breakthrough we are seeing in prayer. Some of us are praying like we've never prayed before. We thank you. God, we thank you for the salvations we've seen, the many that have come to know you in these last number of months. We pray you continue to stir the waters of salvation. God, we even thank you for the healings. Many of us probably don't know, but there's been, been a few healings that have happened in our church, and we just thank you for that. We give you all the glory. God, we thank you for the community that so many are experiencing, finding a place of belonging, a community of brothers and sisters that they can be encouraged by. God, we thank you. We know this is just the tip of the iceberg, and there's so much to be thankful for. In each and every one of our lives, we have a lot to be thankful for. And so right now, right where you're at, I want you to just quickly, the first thing that you think of that you need to give thanks to God, I want you to just say a prayer and thank God for that. Say it right now. <laughs> Amen, Lord. You can look up here. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do those three things, and I believe breakthrough is coming. You know, you know what's great about breakthrough? And I, and I mentioned this, but it's not really on us. God will do it. Sometimes we think we have to go do the work, but, but Jesus is actually the one that, that does it. He, we don't have to roll up the sleeves and pull out the big tools. or uh, We don't get, need to get stuck staring at the wall, right? And he's always saying, I love you, and I'm going to give you more. And I was just thinking about the, the lyrics of the song, Reckless Love, that we sing around here, and I love these lyrics. 
and I'll just, I'll just remind you of them. The part that says there's no shadow you won't light up. There's no mountain you won't climb up coming after me. Then what does it say? There's no wall you won't kick down. No lie you won't tear down. You're coming after me. He says, I'll kick down any wall for you. Receive my love. Don't work for it. Just receive it. Rejoice in it. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. And breakthrough is coming. He wants to pour out his love on us. He wants to drench us in his love. Father, I pray that even as we spend extra time in here today, that, Lord, there would not be a wall of us feeling like we got to go, but that, Lord, we would come and we'd pray at this altar, that we would rejoice in you, that we would give you thanks today, that we would worship you today. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We thank you that you want to bring the kingdom of God right here in our midst. And you want to see it on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in your name. Amen.